this podcast is made possible by Heap, a smarter approach to product analytics. Learn everything about your users, run rapid experiments, and iterate quickly. For hypothesis-driven product managers, there's no better tool. Learn more at heap.io. Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Uh, So today, uh, we'll cover three topics. First is... Uh, how do you define emerging markets and why you should build for it? Uh, second is looking at the users within emerging markets, how they're different from uh, users from other area. And then last, I want to cover um, uh, two startups in Indonesia, which I think are very fascinating. So when we think about emerging markets, uh, what I want to start with is uh, we should look at the current internet user levels in different regions and what's the possibility of each region, right? So when you look at Asia, you see that it has about uh, 53% uh, current internet user levels, but there's a lot of runway for uh, future users to come online. However, they're not online yet. You can see the same thing with Africa. Uh, The other regions, majority of the users are already online. Uh, So when I think about emerging markets, when we think about emerging markets uh, for Karma, we think about these two areas, uh, Asia and Africa, because that's where new users will come online. Uh, but are these ready to come online? And what I looked at and what we looked at at Karma was we looked at Gapminder data. Gapminder is a uh, non-profit out of Sweden. They look at uh, economic development and they build this framework called uh, income levels. And they took the population of the world and divided them into four areas based on how much uh, an individual earns on a daily basis. So, for example, someone in level two uh, earns about two to eight dollars uh, per day, and this has all been calibrated for purchase power and parity uh, that data. Um, and then what they did was they took this framework and photographed uh, people from diff- different parts of the world who fell in this income level. And what they found was, no matter where you live, what dictated what the stuff you had or how you li- led your life was based on your income level. So someone in income level one had a similar bed around the world versus someone in level four. They had a similar bed, regardless if you're in Asia or in, or in Europe, right? Uh, for today's talk, what I'll do is I'll show you the phones they have because that kind of tells us uh, are they internet enabled or not. But I encourage you to look at the Gapminder data for other, uh, other activities which would be helpful for your uh, products. So what you can see here is jumping from level to level three, users are introduced to smartphone, and that's a big jump. Going from a phone that only had buttons, going to a phone that has touch. People are not used to the new uh, paradigm where you have to use your uh, phone gestures, right? Uh, like your zoom in, uh, how do you uh, navigate through apps? So as product managers, you have to think about when you're building for emerging market users, how might we solve user experience issues who are not used to um, a new kind of gestures on the phone, right? So this becomes critical. What I wanted to show you next was, if you take the 
income level framework and layer in the number of people in different regions, uh, you see interesting patterns. The pink here is Asia. The blue here is Africa. Uh, the green here is Americas, both North and South. And the uh, yellow is Europe. So what you can see here is both Africa and Asia, majority of them are below level three, which means that majority of them are still not on smartphones yet. And we saw that from the graph earlier. And what's expected is in the next 10 years, you'll see about a billion users, mainly from Asia and Africa, move into level three or above, which brings in a huge opportunity to build products for these new users who will be connected to the internet for the first time. So just to recap, uh, I know that was a lot of economics and a lot of data. Just to recap, what's really happening is there's a demographic shift. There is a huge opportunity for Asia and Africa. Um, because of economic development, they will enter level three uh, within the next 10 years. And lastly, we didn't all cover this, but uh, what we've seen from our research is um, in these markets, you have really cheap smartphones. They are internet connected. These users have access to the same information as we do. Uh, but the devices are like $50, which is uh, incredible. Like if you can buy a device for $50 and uh, get access to the information that's on the web is, uh, is life-changing. So that's why we think right now is the time to uh, invest in uh, emerging market products. Let's look at the users, right? Um, <clears throat> what we have seen from our product at Cormo is users in emerging markets who are coming online right now, they're not mobile first, they're mobile only. What this means is, like, I have a laptop, a, a smartphone. Most users in these regions only have a smartphone. And not only that, sometimes they have a shared smartphone. So a family would have one smartphone they all share, and they remember the good old days when we had one TV and we would all fight over the remote. So it's something like that. And in some cases, some users have two smartphones, one low-end, one high-end. Uh, what hap what's happening in these markets is, a high-end phone is aspirational. It's like a status symbol. Like, if you can afford an iPhone, you have made it. So users try to try to buy a used iPhone just to, you know, uh, show up among their friends. Um, so as product managers, this becomes an interesting problem. Uh, when you have a shared phone, uh, how do you solve for privacy? Because if your product is dealing with highly sensitive user data, uh, you need to make sure that others don't have access to it. Um, with our product in Karma, we have to think about this, like with uh, shared um, uh, shared accounts. If you have two devices, how do you make sure the data you have on two devices are connected? Because at the end of the day, you're the same user, but you have two devices, you have two SIMs, right? So those are some of the challenges you have to think about. Um, another uh, interesting thing we learned was users in these markets prefer audio input. And one of the main reasons they prefer audio input is because of literacy level. And the other reason is um, your keyboard in non-English regions, really bad. They pretty much suck. It, it, it's horrible. However, our speech-to-text uh, technology has improved a lot. Not just Google, but like as most, uh, most tech companies, it's, it's amazing now. But like even in a lot of chat apps, we've noticed that they pro they'd rather do uh, voice notes than type in, um, type in a message. Uh, the other thing we've noticed is because of literacy levels, prefer, users prefer visual uh, user interfaces. So when, as product managers, when you're uh, trying to build uh, user interfaces for emerging markets, think about, do we need this heavy text to explain 
uh, users how you should onboard, right? You should try and think about, can we use visual cues to drive user engagement, drive user conversion, rather than using text to drive user conversion? Uh, and another, I just wanted to uh, mention about video is, YouTube is number one in India. Like, people spend their, like, probably, like, bunch of hours on YouTube. So video is uh, a great medium to connect with the users. So whenever you think about new users, how do you teach users to use your product? How might we leverage video in your product to do that? So when we build our product at Formal, like we faced this, users could not read or write. So we had to use uh, video and audio together, especially for onboarding, to teach them how to use the product. Um, uh, we are experimenting how we can use Google Assistant embedded in the product so that we can have a more uh, interactive experience. We haven't solved it. It's definitely a, a big problem. Um, building for uh, this user segment is not easy. Low digital confidence. So users who move from income level two to income level three just need things in a, in a smartphone. They don't know what will happen if you tap here or tap there. So what you have to think about, what we thought about is like, again, in onboarding, how might we teach them that if you press here, this is what's going to happen? Or in when we release a new feature, how do we uh, improve feature discovery with a visual component rather than just doing a text overlay saying that, hey, if you click here, you can book a ticket faster or whatnot, right? So that's that's what you think about. Um, another big issue is because you have cheap phones, $50 phones, those phones have very low specs. They might only have 8 gigabytes of storage. What ends up happening is users delete uh, apps. So you need to think about your app size. Um, our app is uh, 7 megabytes. The way we position our app is, if you delete two selfies, you can install our app. And people get that. Because people don't understand what is 7 megabytes. Like even I don't physically know what is 7 megabytes, right? I know, like, uh, if I delete two selfies, that, that makes a space in our product. So that, that goes back to localization. You know, like, I localize uh, what you and I might know as 7 megabytes, but for them, 7 megabytes is like two selfies. Uh, so that's what I mean by localization. And again, uh, Localization, I mentioned, is hard. Um, in India, what makes it even harder is something they call English, which is a combination of English and Hindi, written in English. And trying to, uh, because when users start interacting with you in English, our chatbots disappear. They don't even know what, what the chatbots don't know what to do. Right? So we haven't cracked that yet, but there's some things to know about, right? Um, yeah, these are some challenges to think about. Let me talk about India specifically. Um, India, if you think from a product point of view, is actually not one country. You have different dimensions to think about. You have a lot of users in level four, as we saw, uh, and then a lot of different languages, right? So when you think about India, if you think about the big metros like New Delhi, Mumbai, uh, Bangalore, they operate almost like you are here, right? Like you have amazing network, amazing uh, bandwidth, cheap bandwidth. So it's fine there. But when you start going outside these metros, what they, what India calls like tier two, tier three cities, that's where you have poor network. Um, we struggle with that. The, the user segment we're targeting are usually in tier two and tier three cities. And you need to think about, uh, whenever building products here, you need to have a setup in a way that allows you to test, uh, your product in a 3G network or a 2G network. Um, at Google, we are pretty fortunate that this is like built into our ecosystem where you can just switch your Wi-Fi to a, a 3G and it simulates how your product would behave in a, a 3G environment.
yeah so i hope that kind of helps you see why you should build for emerging markets and how the users look like right so i think that's kind of a good overview the next i want to just cover talk about two startups that i think are amazing um these startups are from indonesia okay maybe you've seen these uh, startups maybe maybe not um one is called wayu the other one is called hellofest uh these are pretty early on in the journey but what I, why i like I like them is they um they are leveraging technology to address some really local needs and they're doing an amazing job uh let's look at hellofest so in indonesia instagram is uh like number one is really big people find jobs on instagram people buy things on instagram everything happens on instagram messages the the uh, vendor say i want to buy this and then they uh, decide on where to meet and then decide how to pay all on whatsapp and then from the retailer side they manage the inventory manage the finances either on pen and paper or on a spreadsheet this is a hot mess like right? this is this is not going to stay right um what hellosis wants to do is improve your purchase journey so that you have better conversion and you can grow your business and then from back office point of view how how might we improve uh your book how might we improve your uh, uh fulfillment how might we improve your um, uh money collection after you buy buy and sell something so they're doing it in two different ways they have introduced a chatbot but what the journey now looks like is we start from instagram and switch over to Hello, this is Chatbot, and you pay for the product over the chatbot, or you pay at uh, cash and delivery, which is very big. Indonesia has a huge population uh, that's unbanked. Most of them have um, wallets, and they just uh, use that to payment, pay, uh, pay for product. Um, from the vendor point of view, what's happening is they have built a mobile-only product that has dashboard management, dashboard inventory management, and fulfillment. Um, going back to our users they don't have a web application for the desktop so inventory is now real time because before it was on whatsapp right and then i would have to go back either in pen and paper or in a spreadsheet to track it so the buyers are still on instagram they're not replacing instagram the the users will be on the regular channels you have instagram there's pinduoduo um tokopedia this they will still be there what they're replacing is your purchase journey on whatsapp because whatsapp is great to prototype and communicate but not really great with you know tracking your inventory or tracking who has communicated or sold it yeah. so in that case the user would be like okay uh send you a link saying that let's continue the conversation here right yeah but it's still i agree it's not uh, great yet so they need to solve that as well so they haven't solved it yet next i want to talk about uh wayu um what this is is a typical um uh eatery in jakarta it's called uh warteg but what's cool about this is like this is a, a family run uh, eatery or restaurant in your neighborhood and it's passed down generation by generation like someone working here could be like four, uh fourth or fifth generation owner and by the time they're done for the day they don't have enough time to grow their grow their uh, user base so they are really strapped for uh, how do they get more customers uh, how do they increase revenue so what uh, we are trying to do is how might we increase uh, foot traffic for for these uh, uh, hole in the wall restaurants 
and how might we also help them with the supply chain? Because right now, what the restaurant owners do is to get up in the morning to go to um, uh, farmers market to buy their food. It's not sustainable. And by the time they're done, it's like around 8 p.m. After they go go to bed, and then they have to do this day in and out. What Wayu is doing is three things. Um, they're helping with uh, user growth and revenue growth. How? By having an online delivery. So think about Uber Eats, but these are all the way you, uh, sorry, all the, uh, uh, Wartags on the, on the app. And you can select any, any Wartag and, uh, you as a user can order it. And way you would deliver the food. So the, uh, Wartag does not need to attract a user because the user will come through the app. And the Wartags that are online, they have seen amazing growth. This growth actually causes problem with supply chain. Now you need to buy more produce to, you know, cater to the new user growth. Uh, Wayu is solving that as well. So Wayu, because now they have a delivery network for, for the food to the end user, now what they have done is they're delivering, delivering the produce to the, to the restaurant. You can, um, order through the Wayu portal how much produce you need per week and it'll get delivered to you. This is a very similar model as how franchises work here. Like if you think about a McDonald's or a, 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 a Subway, they order it online. Like the franchises don't go to the grocery store and buy the product. Like the, the produce comes to your store. Um, uh, the other improvement that Wayu is doing for these restaurant owners is digitization. Because most of the products are ordered online, you get paid online. So you get paid faster rather than having to deal with cash, and then going to the bank to deliver that cash. And last, uh, Wayu is providing training to these restaurant owners how to have a cleaner restaurant, how to have better uh, customer interaction, and how you use digital technology to improve your uh, uh, improve your uh, growth for your revenue, right? So I think overall, it's pretty amazing what they're doing. This podcast is made possible by Heap, a smarter approach to product analytics. From data-driven hypotheses to product insights, Heap offers product teams a clear pathway from data to decisions. Learn more at heap.io. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.